lost, tired, alone. I'm sure many of you listening will resonate with these words. The weight of leadership in your business can be a heavy one, and this weight can often hold us back from growing our companies. But what if you could lighten that load? Today, Tim sits down with Alana Harari, COO of the Philodomo Group, and discusses the mindset, the actions, and the people you need to lift some of that weight off your shoulders and get excited about growth again. It's a great discussion. I hope you enjoy it. So one of the challenges that every business owner is going to face is as you're working through the phases, startup, starting to become established, you're now in a scalable business, and then hopefully one day you're looking for investment. You're going to come up with the challenge that you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. And that's a leadership trait that we will all go through if you haven't already. Now, when that happens, you actually can feel basically crushed. You feel like you can't move because how can you possibly grow your company if you can't take on any more right now? So how can you feel like this in a small business when you want to grow a big business? And this is a very common thing. Today, we're going to talk about Lana and Nigel. How can I grow my company further if I actually can't cope with what's happening now? And this is a really big one because you got to break this down because when you understand that there's light at the end of the tunnel and how do you actually walk towards the light, maybe that's the wrong analogy, but <laughs> you've got to understand that this is part of a process unless you calibrate where you're at and what you need to do now, you're probably going to stay where you are. I love this topic because not only is it about the outside world, about the resources and about hiring processes and being better in business, but it's also highly mental about being okay with some other people taking the reins and also stepping back from this baby that a lot of startups call their business into letting it go so it can actually grow. Let's look at it then from the first phase of when you probably felt like this. And the first phase is let's call it very small businesses, zero to one million turnover, which is a lot of people. You basically have these feelings when you're starting to get a little bit of traction and you're doing everything. Essentially, you're under-resourced. Now, why are you under-resourced? Because you're a startup and you're meant to be. That's the point of being a startup. Not all startups are under-resourced, but majority of them are and should be. The majority of them have got the owners doing the cleaning, if we put that really nicely at the start of the business journey. Essentially, you're playing all the roles. So you've got into it. You're a technician probably in some form. So you've taken a technical role in the delivery of your business. You know, I laugh because we've had a lot of people who have come through our performance consultancy that have come from the corporate world and they look at small business and say, it's so easy. I'm just going to leave my job, my high paying job. I'm going to come and start a business and just have freedom. You catch them 12 months later and they're like, I just, I don't understand why it doesn't work. I just, I don't get it. It's, it's so much harder. I go, yeah, because you have to do everything. Why don't you put more money into it? I don't have that money. Exactly. That's why it's difficult. A lot of people think small business is very, very easy because they've never done it. It's not easy. It's juggling the whole time. Just as you think you got your stuff together, then suddenly you go, all right, I have to do these 50 things this year to just close off the year or whatever it is. I mean, Lana, when you were growing your company initially, how did you know that you were at a breaking point? 
not a breakdown, but you, you're happy to talk about that if you want, because we've all got pretty close to the line there. But how did you know it wasn't the natural pressure of a business, but it was actually a breakthrough moment? I'll say I was very lucky in that I had my breakthrough in the business when I was probably 24 or 25. So I had the lack of responsibility with that. So my point of view comes from a no children, no debt, no mortgages. So my breakthrough actually did come from a breakdown. No asset. <laughs> Winning. You see how Lana looks at that? She celebrates no pressure. I look at, my God, you have no assets. Where do you get? <laughs> you, should, you should feel more pressure, but that's probably why we work as a team. Correct. I definitely had my breakthrough at a breakdown. I think that's fair enough to say. So yep. doing all of the things that I was sales, I was technician, I was account manager, I was office cleaner, I was mentor, I was mother hen. Also, I was girlfriend and friend. You were doing a pretty good job at it. Cheers, bro. Um, (laughs) Became wife. What a win. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. You did a good job. Thank you. And I was absolutely this person that we're talking about. I was absolutely going from days, if not weeks of hyperactivity, strong, hard, fast, raging at the gate into a breakdown, which for me manifests itself in a bad back, which ended up in hospital four times, I think. Did psychosomatic pressure came on, back collapsed, discs bulged and all that sort of stuff. You know, I don't know if there's any medical um, validity to what I'm saying, but it just (laughs) happens to be a very amazing coincidence that as the pressure built in the company, the body started breaking down at its weakest point for Lana, it's her back. For me, a lot of the times it was getting colds and things at times when you're like, why am I getting a cold right now? Oh, that's right. I'm having a breakdown. It's always this catch-22 of when you're at the start, which is obviously, I need more resources, but I need more money and then I need to train them. I'd been able to get more money. I'd been able to get more resources, but personally had not been able to break apart from being the technician while also being the manager. Which is a really important point to delve into because a lot of smaller businesses get really excited once they have more resources. They go, we finally got a bit of free money and we can get a new employee in or someone to help. But they don't do it well enough where that actually becomes more work because they're not used to managing someone. So actually, just as you think you're about to get some relief, you essentially double the weight on your shoulders because you haven't got the skill yet of how to optimize that resource or how to give away things you've been doing in the past. It's a very important thing because you had that experience too, which is, finally we can get some help in. But there was actually no relief for a period of time. In fact, it was twice as hard. Management is harder than implementation. I'm just just saying that. If you haven't done it before. Oh, yes. I'm talking as a 24-year-old-ish. And we had wonderful team members. They were so good at the process that was given to them, but they still needed management as any, I was going to say 20-something, but as any person in a business requires management. And I definitely was learning at that stage of who I was going to be. So I stepped into the mother hen role. That was a very natural role for me. Which a lot of smaller businesses do. I mean, I'm, I own my business, so I'm going to be the boss I always wanted to have. Not like that bastard that I had many years ago who treated me like that. I'm going to be the boss that just defines the way business should run. Yeah, really great. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? You came in going, you want to be the nice person. Hmm, the right? one who understood. And my positive breaking point was that when one of the team members pointed out that he had watched me weekly 
go into the boardroom with team members and had put a monetary value on the hours that I spent chatting with them, helping their mental states, talking about boys and whatnot. And that wasn't on them. That was on me. That was on me wanting to get the best out of their performance. And when he put that monetary figure on it, I was shocked. And we have to look at this as small business owners. When you're in that zero to one million, most smaller businesses that complain about feeling too much pressure, too much weight, they actually have never calculated the time they're spending on low impact tasks. Not that management's a low impact task, but the idea of bringing someone in is to relieve you, not to constantly create more energy. So where are you giving the wrong type of energy to your resources? And this was actually proven in a HBR study, Harvard Business Review. Over this period that's been facing us, they did some research on a type of manager. And at a hundred of the biggest companies around the world, they asked the team members to rate the level of leadership their direct manager gave them. And the outcome of this was simply the managers who had a personal connection were not as respected as the managers who managed from a performance point of view. So managers who checked in and said, how are you going and spoke about personal problems were actually perceived to be weaker and not as performance-based, even though the employees said that they had a good relationship with them. Those who actually were able to manage from a work point of view and a resources point of view and a getting the job done point of view ended up scoring higher on the respectability and the fact that the employees wanted to work for them. That's the right type of employees here to be professional as well. I'm here to do a job. I want to perform well. As much as I want to have a friend and I want to be in a a good environment, that's where a lot of the mistakes are made, is people trying to provide almost an environment where it's more friendship that leads to disrespect because it's not professional. I laugh because I, I like I used to like because I now value my time a little bit more, but I used to love watching a lot of those reality TV shows where there were turnarounds in all businesses and there's four or five around the world that I really enjoy. Like I really enjoyed the Gordon Ramsay ones. I really enjoyed the – there was a few. I don't know if I want to name because I probably uh, disrespect myself by saying how much <laughs> I like watching these late night things. But you know if you've been in this game long enough that a lot of their things aren't going to work. Yes, it'll work for a week while the TV cameras are there, but they're fundamentally the wrong people running those businesses because it takes time. You want to create a great working environment, but it's about getting something done and building the company, not creating a adult's kindergarten. Yeah. And I think if we come back to the concept of, you know, why are you feeling lost and tired or why are you feeling this emotional burden? The right people understand that you're here to run a business and I completely took this on myself and it was my fault and it was my culture that allowed my tiredness because I took on everyone else and the moment I was able to cut that and say, no, I'm a professional, my job is to manage to have an outcome, I will still be people's friends but that's not, that's not why I'm here. The tiredness and this weight on my shoulders was lifted so it doesn't matter if you're doing all of the things. It matters if you're doing the wrong things. That's where the tiredness comes from. Yeah. Not many people get exhausted by doing things that are progressing the business in a way that they understand. We get excited when, as leaders, as owners, we're doing things and we can see the pathway. We know it's not necessarily tomorrow, 
but we know that that's the pathway that leads me to where I want to take this company. Where the exhaustion comes from is having what I'd describe as low-level conversations that are filling up a majority of your time and you're on that constant hamster wheel because nothing's actually changing. There's a lot of busy work happening but nothing of high impact and I guess where we want to bring this into and this is that zero to one million type business is you don't have time for that right now. You should be spending half your week on sales if you don't have a resource that's in there or a systemized sales system. Because when we look at this and we break it down, Lana, at the end of the day, there's a lot of people out there going, that's all pretty well and good for you, but I can't even afford to bring in resources to help. That's why I'm feeling tired. Here's the reality. You're not doing enough sales. That person would say, I don't know how to do more sales. Well, that's the problem that we're trying to fix in your business. We have to get back to root cause with this because at the end of the day, these are all nice problems to have because it means you've progressed to a point where you can bring in more resources. You are trying to become a better manager or learn to be a better manager. But really, we got to look at for the people who are still in that growth phase of maybe zero to half a million turnover, are you actually freeing your time up to do enough sales? Do you systematically have a way of generating new clients or are you reactionary? If you're not driven to do sales, if you're sitting there saying, I've started my own business, I've got my ABN, I'm doing what I'm doing, but I'm not driven to get sales. Ask yourself, do you actually want sales? Do you actually want to grow your business? If you're driven by the business being something bigger, you will do whatever it takes. But if you sit there and say, no, 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 I enjoy my digital marketing, my copywriting, my accounting, whatever it might be, I don't actually want to go and get sales. You have to ask yourself, do you want to grow the business or are you happy where it is? I think that's a big question that a lot of people need to confront with themselves is what are you actually trying to build here? And for us, particularly our audience, we're encouraging people to build businesses, not necessarily just be self-employed. If you want to be self-employed, that is fine. Set yourself an income. Set yourself the structure you need around you to have a good self-employed business that you're going to generate however much you need, and you're going to basically just take as much pressure off yourself to grow that company. But if you're here to grow a business, It's around how can we accelerate and get to the next step, the next opportunity, the next evolution, and we need to do that as fast as possible. And people who want that, I have to say, they do find a way to enjoy it. So you can be tired and you can feel pressure, but you do have almost this feeling that when the day ends, you've accomplished something. It might have been the shittest day possible, but you still do feel this level of, as Tim said, I'm progressing towards a greater good for what I'm building. Yep. It's the people who have been doing it for a while that feel like they've been working really hard and they're not actually any different to where they were 12 months ago. And this is one of the challenges we've got at the moment with the COVID crisis is people feeling like they've worked so hard to get to this point and now do they have to almost start again or go up that hill again and wade through mud, so to speak. But it's not that. It is your business and you should be always looking to accelerate and grow from a sales point of view. That's a non-negotiable. If you've decided to run a business, guess what? Sales is the lifeblood of every business. If you need resources, make more money because it's not about the sales. It's about when you bring more volume in, it forces you to create the infrastructure you need to manage it and it actually evolves your business. You actually bite off more than you can chew. You have to keep driving in capacity because that will naturally force you into being a better business. 
Or if you don't get it right, you'll obviously collapse. But, you know, <laughs> I should <laughs> say that, that there is a, a medium area to that. There is. There is. A, but it's really important to understand why we're always harping on growing your company. You need to create that artificial, or it's not even artificial, that real pressure. And if anyone has a problem with sales, call it growth. That's fine. If you say sales is a dirty word, I don't sell power to you. We'll discuss that in scale up and investment, but call it growth. If yeah, growth- by the way, if, if, <laughs> no, I'm like, I'm like, can't let that go. If, no, I, I just can't. If you're someone who owns a company and you are offended by the word sales, just check yourself. Honestly, this is part of it. Sales is about helping people and finding a solution. So you need to calibrate that sales equals helping because people who buy from you have a problem that you're fixing. That's all it is. So for us, we look at selling everything because we know we're only fixing problems. That's what sales is for us. That's why people don't look at it. It's not used car sales. Not that I've got a problem with used car sales, by the way. You cannot be offended by wanting to sell solutions to people's problems, but that's a different podcast. Let's <laughs> let's carry on because this is that smaller business mindset, which is that zero to $1 million. But what about when you break through? So a lot of our listeners have been giving us feedback like, I remember when I used to be that smaller business that these were all my little problems. But I'm a bigger business now. I'm between that one and five million. So a decent SME. But I still now feel a different weight on me. And I feel like I'm an emotional yo-yo. I wake up one morning, I'm good. I wake up the next morning, I'm down. The next morning, I'm up. Go, great. Now we're ready to do the next part of your evolution as a leader. We've spoken about this before, Lana, personally, because we always try and recalibrate together of, okay, how do we feel right now when we've got one of our companies in this little one to $5 million turnover? The first thing we talk about is a concept I know you like to talk about, which is the evolution of this management, care, not carry. What does that mean, Lana? Uh, care, not carry. So this is one that Tim brought into the businesses probably about four or five years ago. And it is a very simple idea of you can care for people on an emotional level. That doesn't mean that you should carry them, their abilities, their emotions, their general personalities in a professional level. I'll give you a little bit of a history of this. As you start to build more sophisticated, bigger businesses that start to get people who are more experienced in business, there's almost a mindset that comes with those type of people that We're not offended by discussions. We're trying to find solutions. All the little things that happen in small business, their discussions around, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings by having that conversation or I want to do this, which is a natural thing because there's a lot of more inexperienced people in that size of business. It's not about age, it's about experience. But when we start getting bigger at board levels or at senior levels, people don't spend time or wasted energy on hurting feelings, it's more direct, or particularly in the better companies we've been involved with. Direct communication is actually welcomed by everyone because we just want to grow the company. We're enjoying that part of it. It's not a personal conflict. Of course, there are personal conflicts from time to time you have to resolve. But basically, this idea of caring for people as an organization and for each other, but we're not going to carry them in any way. You're either good enough and you work together or you're not, and we need to change that component. We might need someone more experienced. We might need to put someone in a different position. We might need to remove someone, whatever it is. But we used to think that was only bigger businesses. 
we started to filter that down into smaller companies as an idea. And the same thing happened. The right people respected it, even if they were new in their business journey. And so it's a very important thing to ask yourself when you're at this business, which is, where are you protecting people because they're actually not good enough at the moment? Where has your business outgrown a key person's ability? And it's a hard conversation because a lot of people can be very close friends when you've come through the trenches together, but they can also be the thing that's stopping you to going from the next level. And you have to work out, is it them? Is it you? Or is it the situation? And I think that's an evolution because it's something that I've seen you guys grow through with the various businesses we're talking about in that smaller business and people being friends with everyone. But uh, within a business, as you grow, I don't believe that you need to be friends with everyone in the business. You need to be friendly. Because I don't think you can be, as a leader, friends with everyone underneath you. I think there are types of business, Nigel, that you can be, but I don't necessarily think they've got the same ambition as a lot of other businesses. There's some really great books put out, particularly Tony Shea comes to mind from Zappos, where he talks about creating a culture of people really loving being there, this happiness of everyone there. But he's not necessarily saying I'm friends with everyone. He wouldn't know everyone in that business. But there's a way of working. It doesn't mean you can't be ambitious. It's not about treating people poorly. It's not about the memoirs of Steve Jobs and being an absolute tyrant. It's about, well, culturally, what are you trying to build in a business? Now, if your ambition is to build a business, your first filter should be, what pieces of the puzzle do I need in place at what time? And when you get to this, say, one to five million turnover, you need to start doing something that's quite difficult. You actually have to unlearn a lot of the things you learn getting to that size revenue. Your experience from startup to here is actually not going to serve you directly for the next phase. You actually have to relearn letting things go letting others do things, putting in structures, systems and support to now have someone else doing a job that you used to want to be over every single day. But unless you can do that, you can't now expand and scale because you're the block. Alana, we see so many people crushed under this pressure because when we deep down and dig, they don't trust people. The jump between startup and scale up, if we use those terms, it's not an obvious one. You don't suddenly click and go, ah, oh, I'm here. What you start to do is see that the pieces start to fall into place. Is the right person doing the right job? How do I know that they're doing the right job? And that comes back to you as the leader or your senior leadership team, whatever you want to call it, having very simple things like roles and responsibilities, KPIs that can be measured on. When you talk to a person, you know exactly what role they perform and you've got the data to make sure that you know that they're performing. Yeah, and just for those listening, KPIs is a very 1990s <laughs> management sort of word, key performance indicators. Basically, how do you measure whether that job's being done the way the business needs it? And so in a startup, you might say, Joni and Bob are doing all of the calls that they should be doing. In more of a scale-up, you say, the sales team are hitting the metrics we have put in place. And it's a very... I don't want to say subtle difference because it's obvious, but it's a subtle difference in unlearning. It's not even subtle. It's a completely different thing and people think it's subtle and it's not. It's the complete opposite of how you've been running. Oh, we sort of do that now. No, you don't do that now. You're still acting like a small business and you're wanting to go to the next level. What 
does that person need or that department or that initiative need to deliver? And that's how we measure it now. Not, oh, but they got distracted doing this because we had something come up. So what? That's small business talk now. You've evolved. You have to start putting in these structures. So I think you explain it very simply, but it's a world of difference for someone who's actually in that position now. And you have to actually look at yourself and go, are we really doing anything different to when we were this size business? Because that skill is probably not going to drive us to the next level. And within this, if we go back to we were talking about, you know, should you do it, should you not do it? Do you feel really energized by it? Start up to scale up and scale up to investment. I honestly believe scale up is the hardest part because scale up is putting in different elements, different processes, different people that don't have that immediate effect. You know that you're putting them in for a reason. Yeah, there sometimes can be a plateau while you're doing that too, which is a real or a backward pain step. When you, yeah, when you've been growing, like we're going backwards here. Yeah, and this is a lot of the reason why in this period, people do still surround themselves with the people from the startup because these are the people who believe. These are the people that when the step is backwards or plateaued, there's that four-year plan, five-year plan of this is what we're actually doing. If you don't have that plan from the startup and if you don't allow that plan to change, scale-up is the hardest part because you have to be so sure that what you're doing is correct to your plan that you can ignore, and I know I'm going to say, you can ignore the data, (laughs) you can ignore the people, you can actually ignore everything around you that says this is going backwards because your plan says it has to go backwards in order to go forwards. Yeah. There's not many companies that exponentially grow and don't have a plateau or a step backwards. And it not, might not be revenue, by the way. We're talking about in a few functions in the company. It might be profitability. It might be completely changing structure because the old structure is just not going to support the level of things we need to do. It can be that systems feel all over the place because they're suddenly all changing. Yeah. You actually have to calibrate what am I holding on to that I like doing in my business, but actually I shouldn't be doing? And how do I calibrate the things that others shouldn't be doing, even though they historically might have been great at? So you can imagine someone who's got you to this point in your company that's been great, been a really close support to you, but they're actually now not capable of what's required for the next step because it's a new skill step. So what do you do with that person who's been loyal, who's helped you get here? What do you do? And we see a lot of businesses, they do nothing. They actually ignore it and they start just going, well, old Johnny over there, I couldn't, I couldn't. They've been with us since day one. You know, yeah, I know they're not perfect and I know they're slowing us down, but let's ignore that and we'll just work on something else. And they do this for decades and then wonder why they never could break through the next step. And this is where it becomes a little bit difficult emotionally for an owner. It's not personal. If you want to grow that company, the person either can deliver what you need or they can't. And actually, most people don't have the appetite to make those decisions. In our performance consultancy, half the time we're in there having the conversations the owners wanted to have for five to 10 years, but didn't even know how to approach it. Once you shift that, you actually realize the person that you've been trying to protect in the company, they didn't know how to have the conversation that I don't know how to deliver what you wanted. So there's this whole thing where everyone's trying to do the right thing, but it's been crippling the company for years. 
the lesson that we all do need to learn at this <laughs> this part of the juncture, and it comes back to ego. And the way that I learned it was, thankfully, it was in the startup phase of it. Someone working for you might not actually be the best thing for them. So we know that we all have fabulous businesses. Deep, Lana, deep. We know that we are so wonderful and that we're going to change the world and we're going to be successful. But when you realise that losing a person actually isn't the end of the world and when you realise that them going to another job could actually be better for them, you do start to see a much clearer picture of what can be. An example I have is that back in the day we had – a young person from a big four consultancy come in to our business. I knew that this person wanted to be a designer. I knew that she didn't, didn't want to be in a consultancy. She also didn't want to be with our business. But I realised that we would be a really nice stepping stone for her to get out with a safety net and then to jump on. And I think, she, I think it was eight weeks or something that she was with us. Yeah, I don't necessarily think that was a good decision. Wasn't wasn't the greatest, <laughs> but it, it. Thank you for showing an example that when we talk about this, it's actually the cuts that we've taken. Yeah, oh, hell yeah, and this is what I mean. It was at the startup phase, but we got her in. We were made better in certain areas, and then she left. And it was a really soft lesson for me to be able to learn. And yes, I would never do that again. Good, but. Someone leaving you is not the end of the world and you firing or making someone redundant could actually be the best thing for them. And a lot of the time when an owner does feel this pressure of, I have to look after these people, you're looking at, I have to look after these people from your point of view that they want to be with you and that you're the best option for them. Yeah, it's like being in a poor relationship and you don't want to hurt the other person by leaving. Don't all go out there and get divorces, (laughs) but I'm just saying a lot of the time, the reluctance to have the difficult conversation is because you don't want to hurt the other person. But there's a selfishness in that because it's really you protecting yourself. I want to shift this just from people a little bit because I think it's important. I think I don't think the concept changes. Alana and I have been talking about people specifically, but this care not carry is sometimes around using a supplier. Oh, we've been using that supplier for two generations. We're always going to use them. Why? oh, that system's the way we've always done things, so what? This whole care not carry is a philosophy you have to evolve as your leadership skill. It's about being able to detach from things that you've done in the past and evaluating whether they're the right things to take you to the future. People's just one component. But most people, oh, we don't want to change that software system because it took so long when we did it 10 years ago. So what? You don't have to do any of these things, but you're here to grow the business. So actually you need to go, am I the right leader for this company? Because I can't make tough decisions because things that I know won't serve us for the next level we want to get to, you're still accepting as things that you're happy to put up with every day. And that is not a backable trait. That is something we worry about. If we were investing in that company, we would actually be more excited because we know we would change it straight away, but not with that leader in the position. And This is where it becomes a little bit philosophical. Do you know what you want? Do you really want it? Then why aren't you making the decisions you have to make? 
I personally had a great chat with one of our team members. I think it was last week. And we're talking about systems and processes and all, <laughs> all the good things. And this person said, I know that this is probably the way that it's been done. And I stopped him and I said, hang on, hang on. I'm going to show you the end point. So I got up a bit of a plan and I showed him, this is what we want it to look like. I said, how we get there? I actually don't care. The only reason why I've had to hold on to this up until now is because there had to be experience and the end goal couldn't have been shared, but now it can actually be shared. Now it is much more, here is the skill set, go forth and break it. Actually use your skill set. And Alana, I don't know, we'll say two years ago, would have been very, very protective. The growth from scale up to investment is this idea of the right people in the right roles doing the right things, but they can only do the right things once you have given them the opportunity to do that. Once you've communicated properly, once you've shared the vision, which goes back to what we've been saying of if there is no vision or no plan, of course you're going to be tired. You're battling against a current that's not actually going anywhere. So is a win a win? Yeah. Imagine climbing Everest and not actually knowing where the peak is. That's why the people who did it first, they're amazing. Everyone else has a goal and they plan backwards. The people who didn't know how high it was, apart from a visual, geez, that looks high on a clear day, <laughs> they're the explorers. They're the ones that are incredible. It's not that I don't respect everyone who's been able to climb Everest or you know, insert another wacky adventure in, but the people who did it first that didn't have that, they're the real pathfinders. There's a different mindset around that. It's the same thing with a business that how could people that work for you get excited if they don't know where the peak is and what we're trying to achieve because then they can't evolve with you. A lot of people blame, oh, those people aren't good in that position. But actually when you go in there and start to help, you realize, wait a minute, they don't even know what they're meant to be aiming at. And that's when we're talking about that strategy and why do I feel so much weight? Because you haven't shared with your team what they're supposed to be aiming for. It's not clear. Of course, they're going to feel weight. They're trying to not only work out how to perform for you, but they need to be psychic. How, how could you grow in that environment? And by the way, I know I've done this in the past to people because it's an evolution of your own leadership, but you actually have to ask yourself, does everyone know what's expected of me? If the answer is no, well, you're the problem. And care don't carry comes back to yourself. Are you in that position because you should be in that position? And I'm looking at the three of us because... We all know our plan. We're not going to be in these roles. I don't know, I'll say five years, but it could be 12 months. We all know I'm the wartime consigliere. I am not in a stable role because that's not where I flourish. I'm the person who comes in, I fix stuff, and I put the right person in that role. I'm good at plugging holes, but I'm not the best at certain jobs. So we're currently here so that I'm moving on to my next. You as CEO, you always say, if I'm not the best person for the job, I'm out. Yeah, if you're not replaceable in your business, your business has got a weak spot. It's a thing that most SME owners really struggle with. Deep down, they know they don't know what to do next, so they keep making themselves important in their business. What are you going to do if you're not required to do anything as the owner? And I know the first instinct you're all out there going, Tim, that's the goal. I'm going to sit on a beach. You'll be bored in a week. All right, two weeks. All right, six months, whatever. (laughs) You actually have to calibrate 
not being needed in your business. And it sounds easier than it actually is. Because a lot of you that actually deep down enjoy the challenge, the weight you're placing on yourself is probably the expectations you have of what you want in your life, not a real weight. Yes, there are some weights because the business has run poorly or you're in a growth phase you've never done before or you're in a decline that you need to pull out of, whatever it is. But you actually have to work out when you get to the investment side, you're only going to be investable if you're really not that important. And this is something that's very, very difficult for a lot of us that have got to a point where no one cares what I do every day. What they care about is direction for what they need to do for me and the company. But they don't know if I'm sitting at home twiddling my thumbs. They don't know if I'm just sitting in cafes. But you actually have to mentally calibrate this at that point. We talk about it, Lana, is what do you do when you start to get investment money? And I think you start with one thing is you surround yourself with tens. What's a 10, Mum? (laughs) (laughs) I would say that you probably, you hope to start to do this at the startup. Very rarely that you can often afford this side of it. You do start to see it in the scale-up process. That's a really good point. This, This probably does start at the startup phase, but it's essentially important about whether this phase of your business works. And a 10 can also grow. Pretty much what you want to do is hire a 10, which means hire someone who's better than you. If you're hiring a salesperson. A lot better than you, by the way, (laughs) because you probably think you're a 10. You are not. Um, Hire someone who makes you intimidated by their skill. Hire someone who fundamentally, yes, you have to teach them stuff about the business. That's not what we're talking about. But when they walk into a room, you are impressed with how they sell. If they're in that type of role, a 10 can be an accountant who is, you're impressed by how they view your business. If you're hiring a plumber, you're impressed by their process, by their professionalism with clients, how they actually do the job. And by the way, 10s, as Lana said at the start, 10s can be in all forms. When you're a small business, a 10 might look different to what a 10 looks like for you in the investment stage. But one of the things that people get scared of, and we've heard this a lot, particularly with clients that we're helping to this um, scale to investment stage, is you actually realize that they're scared of more talented people than them, not scared of hiring them or affording them. They're scared of, oh, I don't want them to see, you know, there's a few things in our business that aren't perfect. I don't want to be embarrassed by it. I've heard that hundreds of times. As leaders who have started a business from the very start, we actually forget how good the thing is we've built. It is impressive. It is hard to do. It's a very difficult skill. You shouldn't be embarrassed about bringing in talent and worrying about what they think because then you're probably not a leader people want to follow anyway because you still don't (laughs) trust yourself or back yourself. And what's great about tens is that they're they're a ten at one thing. They are the specialist. Now, as a business owner, regardless of what we just said, we know you're going to wear many hats. You might be seven across the board. The ten does their job and does it well so that you can actually start to remove that from your day-to-day. And if you do five jobs and you hire five tens, you're not not going to have something to do. You will always have something to do because it is your business. It is still your uh, vision. If you're at investment, you have to make sure that investors' monies are working in the correct way. You're accountable. Your tens are making your business better, but you are still accountable to business success. 
you just happen to have hired the people who are going to push your business to those levels. But if power be, you end up getting listed and you're a public company, you are the one who is out front with shareholders, with board members. You still have got that accountability to it. So hiring a 10 doesn't mean you lose your connection to the business. Let me throw a curveball then. Ooh. You might find that you are a 10, even though I said earlier, you're probably not a 10. But the reason you're not a 10 is what Lana just said then, which is because others you bring in a specialist in one thing. You've been a jack of all trades in order to get your company to this point. You've had to learn and fill gaps. But if you are a 10, so you actually have a skill that you're an amazing baker and you love doing that, you might not be the person who should expand the bakery. And the person you hire is a 10 CEO and you're going to work as the baker. You can still do whatever you want. There's nothing wrong with that. What you have to understand is where are you at and where should you play in the business? Where do you want to play in the business? And how do you build the team in your business that can still grow the company in the way you want? It's about the right people doing the right things. And because you're the owner, you get to choose whether you want to do it or not. That's the privilege that you've paid for in blood, sweat and tears for the many years before because not many people have that option in a company. And I think that's the thing that contributes to that lost and tired feeling that a lot of business owners go through because they forget that they have the right to choose what they want to do. They feel like they have to take on certain roles. If it's your business, you have to be the CEO. But I love that analogy. Like If you want to be the baker, be the best baker. If that's your true skill set, get the right team around you to propel you forward. Yeah. And at the investment stage, which we're talking about, tens are not hybrid people. Tens are people who come in and they execute a job at a high level. They know what to do. They regularly execute it and they do it. Most business owners have never even thought about the idea of what if that just ran in my business the way I wanted it? How would you feel? Then you start to realize all the pressure I'm putting on myself is because there's so many areas in my business that are just not running the way in which I need them to run right now to get to the next level. Great. That's what we've got to fix. The issue is the emotional toll that's taking during the process. But the solution's probably not that difficult. And hopefully what this shows you is that this feeling, this lost and tired, this heavy weight to carry, it's actually the same at every level of your business. It's based on different problems being solved and how fast you can solve them by you not doing it all the way through. And I think one of the things you have to probably calibrate as the owner is do you actually think that growing a company you won't get broken at different areas? Because don't we understand that everything in life in order to build something needs to be broken down first? You could argue with that if you want, but give me an example of what doesn't need to be broken down in order to build up again. So when someone buys a building and they want to build a skyscraper, skyscraper, they don't usually build it on top of a building that's been there for 20 years. They might use some parts of it, but they break the rest down. They change the foundation. They use new materials. They use new technology. They use consultants. They use all these different things because they're going up another 100 stories. If you look at how someone rebuilds a recipe, if we're talking about the baker analogy, They generally break down each component and look at which components need to change, what process needs to change. As a leader, you're going to get to a pivot point where you need to break down what you currently do because it's not working. 
Generally, the pressure is an indicator that something needs to change. That is a positive thing. The issue is if you spend more time dwelling on why am I feeling like this, not what is this bringing my attention to so I can address it. And that's the difference between accelerating at those points or sitting around dwelling for years, which is really tough. We've all done it, by the way. It's a rite of passage almost. The little trick that I personally got into when I felt that way was I would write a list of five things and then in there I would action one. Again, it sounds so simple, but if you're feeling lost and tired, write a list of what it could be. And let's just say it's a, the systems all feel like they're crazy. You might say that you're going to put a timeline, a date by when they all have to be done. You might say a person's not quite right. Go and write their position description. What you do is you put it back on yourself for what are the things that I can change about this situation and you do get a level of control from that side of it. Start to ask better questions. What do I need to take off my plate to not feel this way? Oh, I need to fix my sales funnel. Great. Now we've got a practical thing we can focus on and put a solution. I just feel like everyone always comes to me throughout the day all the time. Great. Need to put some boundaries on communication in the office so I can give people the time and energy they need, but not at the cost of me not being able to do anything each day. I need to spend more time with my family and the business is all encompassing. Great. When is your scheduled family time so we can start working back to when you have to be more effective in the business? Most of these solutions are simple, but it takes a level of acknowledgement and you need to evolve your thinking, you need to evolve your decision making, and you need to open your awareness that this problem is actually the doorway to the next evolution of your business. So you should welcome these situations, but not dwell on them. Welcome them and look for what will fix them because that will be the thing that takes you from startup to investment faster than anything. Lana, Nigel, thanks for having a chat. For everyone out there, good luck with it. (laughs) Have a great day, everyone. Bye. Sadly, my friends, that is all we have time for this week. We hope you enjoyed the episode and thanks for listening. As always, you can head on over to backable.ai to access all the downloadables. And if you did enjoy this week's podcast, please don't forget to like, subscribe, and if you have a minute, leave a review. If you want to stay up to date with all things Backable and Philodomo, please follow us on one or all of the platforms you can find in the show description below. That's all from us for now. Have a great week and look forward to speaking with you next week. Bye.